All right, good morning, and happy Memorial Day weekend. Starting just a few seconds early, actually, it just turned, it's just turning 9 o'clock now. Hope you all are having a wonderful weekend. Uh, God is good to us and giving us many blessings, isn't he? So, we're going to continue in the work of Christ. This is week two. Uh, I've left a, a generous amount of time for interaction, so... Uh, as I often say, interruptions are welcome. They're actually not interruptions. I planned for them. So I'm, I'm uh, appreciating um, interacting around the Word of God with you together. I love what it says in Colossians 3.16. We emphasize this in Iron Man. It says, let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you as you teach and admonish one another. So I hope you recognize that we all have a role here. I've prepared some specific things, but uh, let's... Let's take on that, uh, that admonition from our Lord to teach and admonish one another as we share his word together. So uh, our memory verse, which I commend to you, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so... One of the things I think we see, both in the person and work of Christ, from what Khalif taught a couple weeks ago, what we started to cover last week, is this is also somewhat of an evangelism class, right? It helps to ground us in what the gospel is, um, and I hope you recognize that we never get past the gospel, right? That's, it has past implications for us in terms of our forgiveness of sins, but ongoing implications in our lives. Um, you know, when I came up in the faith... Um, I was actually taught by several people that we need to get beyond the gospel and move on to discipleship, which is really an artificial, I think, uh, bifurcation because they're both so connected. And I hope as we go through the scriptures today that you will see that. Another verse that we emphasized last week that I'll reemphasize here, uh, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Interesting. In him we have been made complete. And so I hope this is a time of learning and a time of worship for us as we reflect on the realities of our salvation. So with that, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that today you would uh, impress upon our hearts our past and ongoing need for a Savior, that we would understand and appreciate the cost of your work in Christ, that we would more deeply understand the perfect provision of Christ's work, and we would demonstrate and present the risen Christ to others in our lives, and we would live lives of repentance and faith and call others to that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So... Um, Last week, uh, we covered uh, these items. We, we, we connected the, the relationship between a per, uh, Christ's person and his work, right? We, we, we reminded ourselves that because he is a savior, he saves, right? Uh, and so, and there's so many things we could say about, uh, about Christ himself. Because he's a shepherd, he shepherds, right? There's all kinds of things we could say. And we recognize in our lives, you realize you can only act out of your identity. As I like to say, you can only be who you are. You can only fake it for so long. And, um, and certainly in the Christian life, 
God calls us to something that is going beyond the motions, right? He transforms our hearts so that our affections are changed and we live differently. We don't just perform differently, but we live differently. I was thinking about this in the last couple days about, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I've shared this with some of you, um, I wake up desperate and I just need to get with the Lord right away or my thoughts will go south. I tend to roll negative. I don't know if there's anyone here um, like that. I'm, I'm sure there are. And so... I feel like I'm revived, you know, every day. When we, when we talk through Psalm 119, um, those the revival verses really resonate with me. One of the things I thought about was just the need for God to change our hearts, you know. I often am clear about the right thing to do, but I'm not always in a place where my heart and my affections are there with it. Anybody else relate to that? And we, I desperately cry out, Lord, Change my heart. Change my heart. Even, even as a believer, you've saved me, but this, this continual revival and renewal, that's why we pray things like, search me, O God, and know my heart, right? Create in me a clean heart. We want God to do something deep. And I was reminded of an old school worship song from uh, Maranatha, Change My Heart, O God. And I was, been, been, I was actually listening to it on the way here. Change my heart, O God, make it ever new. Change my heart, heart O God, may I be like you, right? This is what we're crying to. Uh, you are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and shape me. These are the things that we need God to do, and this is, these are the things that God does for us in salvation. So I hope we recognize as we go through this <clears throat> that salvation isn't, as some have called it, simply fire insurance. Right? You've heard that term where we're just, okay, my eternity's taken care of. Now I can just go about living my life as I wish, and then I'm good when I die. Well, the Christian life's not like that. The Lord loves us too much to let us live like that. And so uh, we covered last week also man's need, the cost of Christ's work. I think we can never quite get past that. We need to always think about that. Uh, we think of um, the woman who um, uh, washed Jesus' feet with her tears and with perfume. And, and what, did, what did Jesus say about her? He who loves much, he who's forgiven much, loves much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. little. So always having in front of us the depth to which we've been forgiven. Even the smallest sin is against an infinite God and deserves eternal punishment. So keeping that ever in front of us, not from a guilt perspective, but from a forgiveness perspective, is just so important in terms of our love relationship with God, which is the whole point, right? That's our, that's our first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So keeping our sins before us in terms of what he's forgiven grows our love for him. And of course, the provision of Christ's work, how he has done that. And then today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the motive for Christ's work and the resolution and continuation of Christ's work. And then I'll, we'll spend some generous time on reflection and application. So we don't have a ton of content today, as I mentioned. So if you have a question and want to interrupt at any time, I've saved some time at the end. But if you want to interrupt me throughout, the time, throughout our discussion, that's just fine as well. Okay? Great. All right. The motive, as you may suspect, for Christ's work is love. I love this from John 3. There's just so much going on in John 3. Um, and I love how Pastor Dave has unpacked this for us lately. It's been really rich. Just a couple highlights. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so 
must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved, and when you see the term so loved, I think there's two things you want to think about. It's, it's the magnitude, but it's also in such a way, right? How did he do it? That he gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Stop right there. Have you ever heard people say things like this? Well, God, you know, he's not judgmental. He, he's not here to judge us. Got to concatenate. You just stop this verse right here, but you got to keep reading, right? Um, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. This is a given. Jesus came to bring grace and truth with the understanding that that judgment was understood and that people were guilty, right? He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So this past week in Iron Man, we covered the love of God, or at least just a, a piece of it. One of the things we recognize is that um, God's love is so much greater and different than human conceptions of love, right? Let me just ask you a question, if anyone would like to chime in. What are some of the human conceptions of love, common understandings of what love is? Fleshly love, is that what you said? Lustful, Lustful right? So, right? Affection, physical, physical affection, right? Certainly part of that in the context of marriage, but, but, but uh, not the whole thing, right? If, if marriage is dependent upon that, yeah, that's not going to work, particularly after you get to a certain age as a practical thing, yeah, certainly. It's got to be something more than that, yeah. And... And that, and that type of love is merely an, out, an outflow of a healthy relationship, for sure. Yeah. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. Yeah, yeah. Some other thoughts about human love. Chris, you were there. What were some of the things we talked about? Put you on the spot. What's that? Cheating. That's cheating, yeah. <laughs> Rule-based. Yeah, that's what you said, right? Having a, a, maybe a sense of obligation or a sense of conditional, I love you if you love me, that kind of thing. And we know biblically that just doesn't work, you know. If you love those who love you, what, what good is that, right? Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So there's an aspect of it. So we ended up with this, with the agape love, to summarize, is it's a conscious act of the will that seeks the highest good of another. Well, that's really different than most human conceptions. Um, so God's motive, what is God's motive, right? He, why does, I'll ask you this, why does God love us? It's a little bit of a trick question. Because he is God and he is love. Yeah, summarizing from a number of scriptures, he loves us because he loves us. There is nothing in us, I hope you get this, there's nothing in us that motivates God. To love us. In fact, it's quite the opposite. That's what's make, what makes his love so amazing. People talk these days, you talk about a human conception of love. You are worthy of love. Really? I don't think any of us are. That's what makes God's love so amazing. Glenda? Yeah. You were the fewest. Yeah. 
Yeah. We went over that. I, the, the verse escapes me, but yeah, of Israel. because I didn't choose you because you were the greatest, but you were the fewest. In fact, you were probably the least likely candidate, which is the point of why I did it. Judy. He loves because he created us. That's a good point. So um, I, I can kind of go down this, this uh, detour a little bit. As, as those created in his image, there's, there is a sense in which there is an inherent value, but because of our corrupted nature, that does not invoke God's love at all, right? And so you look at a verse like this, for God so loved the world, and we know that God has not from eternity past saved the whole world. So this is an interesting discussion. In what sense has God loved the whole world? Well, there's a lot I could say about that, but, but, but a couple things is one is his restraint, right? His restraint in, in, in his patience with us, not, not wiping us all out at the same time. The common grace, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. We are, even in this fallen world, the amazing blessings that people who are far from God experience. And one of the things you may not have considered is the blessing that God has given to unbelievers through believers, through us. We see this in, in Ephesians 3 and other places that God has made his presence and it, he, he has glorified himself through the church. So our presence, as flawed as we are, is an amazing aspect of God's power. Our presence on earth is an incredible blessing to the world. We are salt and light. We are a preservative. You get that, right? And so I think those are all things to consider in terms of God's love for the world. All of those things could probably be a whole lesson in themselves. So we'll, uh, we'll move on from that. Um, if, you, if you stick in your Bibles to Ephesians and Romans 5 in that area, we'll probably be good today because we're going to be in and out of that. Another verse on the motive for Christ's work, on his love, right? For while we were still weak, <clears throat> this emphasizes what we were just talking about. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps... For the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God, <clears throat> I love the but when, it's, when you see but God, I love when that shows up. Turn to Ephesians 2, and we're going to look at that a little bit too. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified his blood, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We see this further emphasized in Ephesians 2. And I, and I just, let's be amazed uh, at God's love, right? Um, just picking up a couple concepts from Ephesians 2. Dead in transgression and sins. Walking according to the course of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Children of wrath, even as the rest, Right? We talked about sin last week. Sin isn't just falling short. It's not just turning it aside. It's going in the opposite direction. It is utter rebellion to God. And in spite of that, he loves us. He seeks us. And then we see this other but God in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then verse 7, I love verse 7. This is kind of a bottom line of why did God do all this? So that 
in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saved us basically to show off. That's okay. He can do that. We do that. That's a problem. God does that. It would be inappropriate for him not to do that. He brings great glory to himself. That's why he saved us. You get that it's not it's not about me. It's about him. Yeah. So let's be really clear about God's motive of love and what he's doing in his own, his own glory. One of the things we talked about, yeah, it's Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. I actually have it in my notes here, Glenda, the verse that you mentioned. It's not because you were the greatest, but because you were the, the least, right? Um, yeah, a couple of the other verses here that would reinforce this. Um, 2 Timothy 1, 9 is one of them. Let me take a quick look at that. Yeah, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Wow. So that's one of the things we talked about on Tuesday in Iron Man is God's love is an eternal love. It's from eternity past, and it's to eternity future, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Right. These verses are there to reassure us because we doubt his love, don't we? I'm not the only one who doubts his love. No. Yeah. First uh, John 4.19 is another one that re- further reinforces this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should have had this memorized. We love because he first loved us, right? Our love is motivated by his love. And so one of the connections that we made, I think it's important to make here, is that because God's love is not influenced or um, motivated by anything in us, I think that tells us about the way we are to love others, right? We love not because of others, but because of God. I said this to the men the other night. I said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I love you, but you don't provide enough motivation for me to love you as I should. And I don't provide enough motivation for you. That motivation has to be something beyond ourselves. It has to be him. So that's a wonderful thing to think about. Um, Pink said this, uh, and I'll just read this. This is a great quote. The love of God is uninfluenced. By this we mean there was nothing whatever in the objects of his love to call it into exercise, nothing in the creature to attract or prompt it. The love which one creature has for another is because of something in the object, but the love of God is free spontaneous, uncaused. Let's be really clear about that. Really clear about that. All right. Yep, we read, uh, here's another one, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. James 1.18 is something I wrote here that will help us as well. James 1.18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be kind of first fruits among his creatures, right? Again, this whole aspect of God's love being uninfluenced by anything outside of himself. So important, so important that we recognize this. And what assurance that gives us, right? Uh, Our behavior, our affections, our... um, 
they waver, right? What if God's love wavered with that? That wouldn't be good for us. Praise the Lord that it, that it doesn't. All right, let's move on to the resolution and continuation, the resolution and continuation of Christ's work. Romans 1, 4 through 5, who was designated as the Son of God in power, this is Christ, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we, have re we receive grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. This idea of uh, his lordship, right? This is why we talked last week about when we think about the gospel, we think not just about his death, but about his resurrection. Um, you look at, at uh, Romans 6 in particular, and we see that his death, his burial, and his resurrection are reflected in our lives, right? All of that. We live in resurrection power. We see this in Ephesians 3, right, and Ephesians 1, yeah. Um, and we looked at um, Philippians, Philippians 2 last week as well. We think about his humiliation and his lordship, right? He who was king of kings and lord of lords, he could not be higher, could not have gotten any lower, Right? Um, and it's interesting, he did, not, he did not cease to be Lord, but as we see through his resurrection, and we'll go to the next slide, um, he showed himself to be what he always was, and that is Lord. Um, I love this in Hebrews 1, God having spoke, spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, spoke to us in his son, whom... He appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Important for us to recognize that he, he, he maintained that position throughout his life, although it was concealed, and having been raised from the dead... He went back to, obviously, his, um, his rightful place, if you will, although he never fully really gave that up. He concealed it. Last week, we talked about a couple things. What is Christ doing in heaven? Maybe we could repeat that. Anyone remember? What? He's interceding for us. That's the main thing. He is interceding for us. Praise the Lord. He is reigning. He is ruling. Yeah, there is nothing outside of his rule. Uh, I love when it says he upholds all things. Think about this. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Constantly. Why are you and I here? Uh, Colossians says, in him all things hold together. Amazing. And that's through the reign and the rule of Christ. All right. And then Acts 22, Acts 2, 32 through 36, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, which you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Interesting, you look through the Gospels, Jesus had an inter- interesting interaction with the Pharisees on this passage. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So again, was this a new thing? Did God put him to a position that he wasn't in before? Did he make him Lord and Christ in, in that sense? That's not how we understand this, right? He has revealed him to be such through his resurrection. He was always ruling and reigning, and now this is obvious. It, in a sense, it, it validated to the world, demonstrated to the world that he is Lord and Christ. It's interesting when we talk about the gospel, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. I've, I've heard it throughout my life. It might be more of an older phrase that, well, if, if you see someone who, who professes to be a Christian, but they don't seem to be living as such, they say, well, he's received him as Savior, but not as Lord. How do we respond to that? He is the Lord. Right. He is Savior and Lord. So if you've received him as Savior, not as Lord, I'm going to say boldly you haven't received Jesus because he is the Lord. Right? Uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us this. If you, if you believe in your heart that God raised, if you, um, I'm going to go there because I'm, it's not coming to me. I have a little senior moment here. Um, if, if you, um, no, I'm sorry, I'm just going to read it. Yeah, um, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Right? And so there's, a, there's an aspect of, there of acknowledging Christ's true identity, and there's an implication, a sure implication there of repentance. Right? Again, you receive him as Lord, um, and uh, there's a repentance aspect of salvation. Right? You, you believe, you, repentance and faith. And I find there's two things that, those are the two things that often in American Christianity and evangelism we neglect. We neglect to mention his lordship. People have said, do you believe in lordship, salvation? And to quote Jack Nicholson, is there another kind? Right? If it's not lordship, salvation, it's not salvation. There's not, they're not categories, right? So the lordship aspect is something that's often neglected in American Christianity and Repentance. When we tell people, well, all you have to do is believe, I think that falls short, right? Because that's not how the scriptures talk about salvation. The very first recorded words of Jesus are repent and believe in the gospel. So let's go with what he says when we both live out and communicate the gospel to others. All right. 1 Corinthians 15. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all things put all his enemies under his feet. And I love this. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Amazing. Let's talk about this for a minute. Eternal life. Is that just for the future? 
what, what implications does eternal life have for you and I right now? Some thoughts on that. you haven't now, you have for all eternity. It seems really basic, but it's, it's really worth thinking about. I think I may have shared last week, I have a, a, a friend who struggles with the, the idea that you can lose your salvation. And I go right to, there's many places you can go here, but John 5, 24 is really helpful to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, what? Has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death, into life. So eternal life, we live in eternal life now. And if I could just be really rudimentary, eternal life is eternal. By definition, you can't lose it if you have it. Be assured, brothers and sisters. And that's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to reflect on. And he is preparing a place for us. We know that from John 14. That's wonderful. But that's not when eternal life begins. We live in it now. I remember reading, I think it was an article by John, by John Piper, talked about um, what are you looking forward to most about heaven? And no crying, no death, no sorrow, all that. Everything will be perfect. We perfectionists finally get what we want, you know, in heaven. But that's not the main benefit. I think the question he asked was, if you could have all the benefits of heaven and God wasn't there, would that interest you? And I hope we get to the point in our lives where we say, well, what would really be the point of that? Right? If we're not enjoying and seeking our relationship with Christ now as the very best thing in our lives, that might indicate something about where we are. Because that's the whole point of eternity. We'll get to be with him. Right? Anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. How trivial th things on earth are now. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about that. Um, I, I was reflecting, I think it was in Proverbs 25 this past week. Um, I got to thinking about, it says, um, you know, to, to pay attention to your stock, your flocks and your herds, all the while knowing that those riches aren't forever. And I got to thinking about that. Um, they're insignificant, but they're not, right? The things, so to your point, Anio, um, I think it's in, in um, 1 Corinthians 4, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal, right? The, the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. There's an eternal weight of glory, right, ahead of us. Yet, how we handle these temporal things has eternal implications, now, I'm going to speak out of something that I, I feel I know, uh, understand very little about, but there are eternal rewards based on how we treat temporal things today. Really interesting, right? Uh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, it says in Matthew 6, but store up for yourself, because those things will decay, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But it's based on our faithfulness with the things that we have here, knowing that there's a reward ahead of us, right? It's so interesting. Take care of your stuff, but the stuff isn't ultimate, if I can put it in maybe a crude way. Glenda. 
Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about um, how this was presented at my mom's funeral. My mom died young at 47, and there was a lot. There was, I thought during the funeral there was, um, and I see this at a number of funerals, um, maybe an overemphasis on seeing your loved one again. No offense, that's going to be great. I miss my mom, and I look forward to seeing her, but that's not ultimate. She would say that. People who were there were like, you shouldn't really be looking forward to seeing me. It's Christ. It's him. So that's, that's a real test, I think, Linda, of where our hearts are. What are we looking forward to most? If it's the perfection of the environment, if it's people that we miss, I think, I think that falls short of the true worship that we should have. Yeah, that's good. All right, I don't even know what's next here. Yeah, and we talked about this, right, Glenda? Thank you for reminding us. So what is he doing now as he reigns? Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, this blows away any idea that we can lose our salvation, right? Christ is not falling short of his intercession for us. He's not. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16. When is our time of need? It's constant. Our need, I hope you recognize this, brothers and sisters, our need does not waver. We don't need him more sometimes. We are, our awareness of it changes. But our need for him, I think, is beyond what we can even comprehend. Right? If he is upholding all things by power, and if he is um, holding us together, then our need can scarcely be overstated. And so um, one of the things that I've enjoyed and appreciated as I've gone through difficult times is the, cl the closeness that I get to experience with Christ because I, I, I'm desperate. I have that sense of desperation. And it's interesting when I... When, when circumstances get a little bit better, um, it scares me a little bit because I want to enjoy the blessings, but I know that in my sinfulness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be maybe a little more distant from him. I'm going to feel like I don't need him as much as I really do. Uh, if you've read accounts of uh, Christians who've been imprisoned for their faith, um, there's two that I can think of in particular. Richard Wormbrand, who, who's uh, written the book, Tortured for Christ, which I recommend, and uh, The Heavenly Man by a Chinese pastor named Brother Yun, both of them said something almost identical. They said that when they, when they were released and they were out and they were free, they had moments where they longed to go back because they had trouble recapturing that sense of intimacy with Christ that they treasured. Isn't that interesting? And so this is why I think sometimes God doesn't give us the blessings that we seek, the earthly blessings that we seek, because he knows that we need to be... Uh, on him. Um, so, yeah, that's good stuff. 
So our time of need is constant. All right, the resolution and continuation of Christ's work. So I'm going to um, kind of summarize here. He is Lord, giving us a mission of discipleship. I think we saw that in the Romans 1 passage. We have received grace. And so for, for Paul, it says apostleship. But I think we recognize that um, in verses like in, in um, um, 2 Corinthians 5, right, uh, that we, he has given us the mission, right, the word of reconciliation. Right? He's reconciled us. Right and given us, given that mission mission to us. Um, let me just read it. Yeah, it's so great. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade we persuade men. It goes on for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him, who died and rose again on their behalf. I'm just picking up some things here. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, so then we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we recognize that our salvation comes with a mission, a mission of evangelism and discipleship. He reigns in majesty, never doubt that, right? No matter how bad circumstances get, he is ruling and he is reigning from on high. Uh, he has conquered death. I love what we read. The last enemy to be abolished is death. That is a past reality that we will see in the future. We will see in the future. And he intercedes for his people. Praise the Lord. He, he is constantly, never, unceasingly interceding for us before the Father. And he is coming again. He's coming again. Do you believe that? Do you think about that? There was a, back in the days where bump, Christian bumper stickers were more of a thing. I don't like bumper stickers at all. But there's, there's some that I like. Um, yeah, I, I won't deviate to, the, to my, favorite, my favorite one, but because um, it, no, it has no spiritual edification at all. Um, there was a bumper sticker that said simply, perhaps today. And for Christians, it was, he could come today. And, I'm, and most days I'm like, yeah, today would be good. Wouldn't today be great? I love that. But we, we stand and uh, we walk in anticipation of his coming. All right. We've got plenty of time here to discuss and to reflect. Before I get into some specific items here, um, are there any questions or comments that you might have? If you think of anything, let me know. I did want to clear something up, and, and thanks um, to Jane for asking me about this earlier this week. Some things on forgiveness that I mentioned last week that I think uh, I, 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 did, I want to just kind of um, uh, maybe alleviate any confusion that there might be about that. So um, one of the things I said, maybe a little bit too tersely, was that we don't have to ask for forgiveness. Let me just clarify that a little bit, right? And the reason I said that was from Ephesians 1, 7, where it says, in him we have um, the forgiveness of our trespasses, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then you look at the Lord's Prayer, where it seems to indicate that we're asking for forgiveness. And then 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So I want to be really clear that 
Um, the main thing we think about that is if we do ask. My, my, the way I personally apply it is I confess and seek repentance, and I thank him for the forgiveness that I have in Christ, right? But this doesn't eliminate the need for confession. I was reading some commentaries this past week where some people actually believe that, that because of Ephesians 1, 7, you don't have to confess anymore. That's not it at all. And so I just want to make sure that we're really clear on that. One of the things we do see, if you look at 1 John 1, is what does confession do? It, well, I'll just read it. Um, in 1 John 1, starting, I think, in verse 7. Am I going in and out here? Okay. Is there anything? Okay. Um, I'll start in verse 5. Um, 1 John 1, verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then verse 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. I think our Lord recognizes that even as believers, we're going to sin. Is that not clear? And so this idea of confession, if we don't confess known sin, it affects our ongoing fellowship with the Lord, right? And our cleansing and our fellowship with one another. You can't hide that. If I have unconfessed sin in my heart, it's going to affect my relationship with you. Jody. Positional versus relational forgiveness, yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so just the reassurance that unconfessed sin doesn't affect our eternal salvation, but it affects our relationship with God and with others. Yeah. Hopefully that's helpful. There's a lot... To forgiveness, right? You can, yeah, I, that, that's for another time. So um, turn to Colossians 2, and this is something I think for us to really think about, the ongoing implications of our salvation. How does it apply to our lives um, day to day? Colossians 2, 6 and, six and 7, um, but Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, having been established in your faith, just as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. We talked about this earlier. Notice the word Lord there again, right? As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How have we received Christ Jesus the Lord? By repentance and faith. How are we to continue to walk? in repentance and faith.
It's a beautiful thing. I, th I think we have to recognize that salvation, repentance, and faith is not a one-and-done thing. It is from the perspective of our eternal salvation. But in terms of a walk, it's so important that we have that cycle. I don't know about you. I have not run out of things to repent of yet. And I'm going to be bold and say you haven't either. I don't know all that's going on in all of your lives, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. Praise the Lord that we can continue to come to him. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Um, precious, precious passage here. Um, has real implications in our daily walk. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, keep in mind, this is reflecting on the spiritual realities of salvation and what does that mean for how we live out our daily lives. And, you know, this, talk, this really kind of connects those eternal realities that you were mentioning versus the temporal realities. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. It goes on. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, and it lists all those sins. There's so much here. If you have been raised up with Christ, if you're in, in, in Christ, that's true. So let's think that through. Keep seeking the things above. What are you thinking about most of the time? What grabs your affections? Right? Is it things on earth or things in heaven? In prayer meeting on Wednesday, Pastor Dave said something that I had never heard before, and I've been, th I've been thinking about this since. So our, our, our brief devotional time in prayer meeting was from Psalm 27, which is my favorite psalm, right? Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It goes on in verse 4. It says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That's one of the few places where the scriptures give this one thing, one thing. That is the ultimate thing, right? To Behold his beauty to worship him, to know him. And one of the things that Dave said was, see if I remember it, is if we consider anything else besides him to be essential, then the result in our lives will be fear. I'm not talking about fear in the good sense, right? Fear is in dread. If we consider anything but him in our lives to be essential, the result will be fear. And I thought, wow. I, that, that really landed with me, and I think that, that challenges us from this passage here. Keep seeking the things above, right? Where are our affections? Are they divided, right? Are we, um, or are they ultimately in him? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. So when we think about living for eternal things, let's just talk about this for a little bit. What things are eternal? And I have three things in mind. What three things are eternal? One of them is really obvious. As I tell my kids, if you say God or Jesus, you're right with these questions at least half the time. Let's go with that. God is eternal. 
right? What else is eternal? Our souls, people, people are eternal, okay? There's one other thing I'm thinking of. Isaiah 40, verse 8, if you know it, off the top of your head. It's the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So if our affections are dominated by those things, first of all, the Lord himself, Second of all, the people that God, he has put in our lives and then his, and his word. I would actually probably reverse those two, God, his word, and then people because God and his word are so closely connected. Think about that, right? Am I investing in eternal things, right? Um, I remember just, I think part of the reason that, that God blessed us with six children is to help me recover from my perfectionism because... If you've got, well, let's face it, even if you have one child, it just, it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be some chaos, right? Um, and I remember the Lord um, impressed this thought on my heart in my 20s. Um, as the chaos was growing, this thought entered my mind. It said, you can have perfection, you can have order, if you will not perfection, order in your relationships or order in your stuff. But on this side of eternity, you can't have both. If you have to choose between, or between those two, choose the people, right? I, I can have a, a, a clean garage and a clean office and, a, and, and, and be, be uh, unreconciled, to your point. With, with, and, that, and that's no good, right? So, Jody. I don't recall this, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The hope we have to be future looking to what's ahead of us. I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that for a little bit. Look at Romans eight. This is so beautiful. The fact the fact that the things that are unseen are eternal uh, is a, is a gift to us, and the fact that we can't see them is actually a gift. Um, look at Romans 8. He's starting in, uh, yeah, starting in verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves. Do you feel that? Life is frustrating. It's a mess, right? Having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we were saved, but that is thing. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, 
with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Jody, I think this captures what you were saying. The unseen hope that we have, it's actually a gift from God that we can't see it in this life because it focuses our attention away from the things of this life to eternity. This turns around something that I have personally found frustrating to say, oh, this is a gift from God so that I will focus on the right things. Hope that is seen is not hope. Wow. And of course, we know biblically, hope is not wishful thinking. It's rock-solid assurance. It is an anchor for the soul, as it says in Hebrews. All right, I do want to get to this last passage. So think about this. How aligned are your affections and motivations with the reality of Christ's rule? And then 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 10. And I would really encourage um, some personal reflection on this passage in the coming week. I think you'll really benefit from that. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 10. I think we mentioned it briefly last week. So let me read that. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In every way afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So when it says earthen vessels, I was thinking back to Pastor Bobby. When did you preach on that? We are, we are baked. What was the phrase? We are baked dirt. Uh, that's who we are. I love that. It just sticks with me. Yeah. That, that's who we are. So that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. I want us to think about, so hopefully you can relate to what we see in verses 8 and 9. Anyway, afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, at, at least that, right? And we've been perplexed this past week or a couple weeks. I mean, I have, right? Um, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Well, what does this mean? brothers and sisters, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We're going back to that first verse. Christ was buried, was died, buried, and was risen. We, we reflect that in our lives. In what way? How does your life reflect the reality of the gospel? Let me suggest a couple things. What does it mean to carry about in the body the dying of Jesus. Paul said that in Christ he dies daily. What does this mean? Jesus said, I think it was in John 12, unless the grave of wheat um, falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, that's a reflection of his work on the cross, right? But it's also, I think, has some implications for us because we have to die to sin we have to continually, well, and I, I commend Romans 6 through 8 for, to you, particularly Romans 6. We have to continually consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. We need to, by the Spirit, in Romans 8, 13, put to death deeds of the body, right? So in, in this sense, putting to death our fleshly lusts is the way, is a primary way, I think, in which we carry about the dying of Jesus, Right? We are caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, denying self, right? Receiving 
mock, ridicule, whatever may come, as Jesus did, right? We're not Jesus, but identified with him, we experience this. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. And I, and I would challenge you with this, challenge us with this. What are some sacrifices that um, God calls us to as believers that you have not been willing to make? Right? What ways do you know that you need to die to self, to your own desires, that you're refusing to, to do? We've all got this. Right? I think the minimum um, that I think about you know, I think about our brethren throughout the world who are, who, these, these verses that we just read about um, persecuted, uh, afflicted, you know, we're not experiencing that maybe as much. Um, as I like to say, th- there, are, there are people who are experiencing more than microaggressions in this world today. They're getting more than their feelings hurt, right? They're under real harm and under death. A threat, not only threat of death, but actual death. It's a little easy for us here. So what are the sacrifices that we're making? I'll start with one that I'll, I'll just commend to you. How's your daily time with the Lord? Are you setting aside that time as your first priority? We read this in Psalm 27. One thing, right? Uh, I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. In other words, putting my fellowship with him first. In Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, that whole sequence with Mary and Martha. You know, Mary, Mary, Martha, you were worried about so many things. Jesus said only one thing is necessary. What is that one thing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. I know it might sound legalistic. I don't mean that at all. Um, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I would commend to you, brothers and sisters, that is your minimum Sacrifice, be uncompromising in setting aside your first and best time with the Lord. Just settle in. Everything in your life flows out of that. Everything. Everything. And I'm, I'm amazed at the pushback that I get sometimes when I have conversations about this. But that, that's the sacrifice. I think, you know, the, just, just faithful service to Christ in his body, right? First uh, John 3.16 says, he laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for, one, for the brethren, right? The sacrifices that we make in our daily lives. Um, and this, is, this goes back to what you were saying, NEO. It's putting aside those things that the world values, right? You're, you're going to sacrifice financially, maybe in your career, right, to, to put your priorities in the right place, right? It, hopefully, hopefully you got that memo. It, it's a sacrifice, right? Um, but if we... So I just trust that the Lord will, will lay on your heart these scriptures that, talk, that, that tell us, what, what do I need to lay aside? Another one that's really clear is the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. I hope you recognize that if you're living, Paul said this in Galatians, if I, if I um, sought the approval of men, I could not be a servant of Christ. That's a very big thing that we need to give up is the approval of people, right? So there's a lot I could say about this, but I trust the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind uh, what that means in your own life today, all right? These are the wonderful implications of the work of Christ, the ongoing work of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for the perfection 
of Christ's person and the perfection and the completion of your work and what it means in our lives. Father, we are so often distracted. We are so often selfish. Um, and you want us to live on a higher level. Caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body, that, that precious fellowship, that pre precious revelation of you, demonstration of your power to the world. And so make it so for us, we pray by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen.